This is Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive in Life and Business. I'm your host, Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. Hi, I'm Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian. I am the CEO of a company called WeThrive.Live, my keynote speaker and an executive coach. And you are tuning in to our Future of Work series here on the podcast. I am passionate about the shift that we are in as a society And I believe it's the greatest shift that we've been in since the shift from the agricultural age to the industrial age model of work, where the work construct has such a significant impact on society. And in 2020, we experienced a global shutdown, global trauma, which led us into years worth of reflection on what success really is and what we want our lives to be. And I believe that we're still in this bit of chaotic shift trying to decide what the right answer is. And what I'm seeing is a much needed and necessary shift to where our sense of worth and our sense of value doesn't come from our achievements and our work title but comes from us knowing us. And I believe that is the shift that we have needed for some time because the way that we were working was leading us straight to an epidemic of burnout. And while this time of chaotic shift is full of uncertainty and many leaders trying to figure out what is the answer, I wholeheartedly believe that the future belongs to those leaders who are willing to be creatives who are willing to create the future of work. And I want to be a part of that effort. And so this series is dedicated to interviewing people and asking them, what do you think the future of work could and should be? What problems should we solve? What ideas should we consider? And by doing this series, it will lead us into our own sense of reflection as leaders and as employees. And what do we want? How do we want work to feel? And As we make this shift, I believe as we change the work, we can change the world into a society that honors each of our uniqueness and honors the value that we bring into an organization. So if we can change the work, we can change the world because, you know, making money just ought to feel better. So I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the Future of Work series. Today, we're going to talk to Angela Shell, who is an HR leader, professional executive with a ton of experience and a lot of passion for what the future of work could and should look like to serve not only her HR community, but the greater good of society. And I think you're going to find not only does she have passion about this topic, she's got some really good practical advice that you can apply. So here we go. My first book is called Write Your Own Story, Three Keys to Rise and Thrive as a Badass Career Woman. And ironically, or not so much because I know the Lord has it all figured out, I started writing this book prior to 2020. And it was finished right in the middle of quarantine. Mm. And what was really interesting is that all of the concepts matched perfectly to the mass exit that we were having in the workplace, largely women, millions of women left the workforce. So the back of my book is 
positioned to that. But when I was writing it, that wasn't what I was thinking about. But all of a sudden, I was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like, write your own story. And so now my second book is shaping out to be, what does this look like from a leadership organizational standpoint, but also how do we as individuals show up differently in the workplace? Because my view is that the future of work will be created, not dusting off old patterns and relaunching them with new titles and things like we've been known to do in business because Mm -hmm. this 2020 was a time of pause and reflection that we ended up having this human response, which was flight, fight, freeze, fawn, you know, great resignation, flight, I'm out. If I had the money to quit, we quit. And a lot of people scraped and made that work, largely women. And then there was the freeze response was quiet quitting. I don't have the means to quit, but I'm just going to dial it in because I need the paycheck. Followed by the fight response, which was managers and leaders panicking that goals still needed to be met. Now they had less people to do it. So they doubled down on get back to work so I can see you. Let's go back to the old ways. They doubled down on control because that's what we Mm -hmm. as humans um, do in an unsafe situation. And then you've got the fawn folks who are now doing all the work of all the people that left and all the people that are dialing it in and dealing with the cranky boss. And so this is exacerbating the burnout numbers that we had just started to address in 2019, right before we all went into quarantine. And so if we're honoring our nervous system, which is doing its thing whether we like it or not, the future of work will need to be created from our imagination, not from the patterns of the past. And I don't have evidence, therefore I don't believe that we as a society honor or value creators. We like people that fix and control and follow the rules. And so I think we got kind of a shitstorm that's <laughs> brewing. Yeah. And I just, not just, I deeply, passionately want to hear from people from every part of the organization on how you're feeling about this, what your thoughts and dreams and ideas and struggles and frustrations and just blah, 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 blah. tell me all the things. <laughs> oh, that was a big setup. But a great, a great setup, honestly, to put into context for what I'm seeing in an HR role. I'm seeing people talk about applying to 130 different jobs and struggling to get interviews. I'm seeing people leaving jobs and starting their own businesses. And I'm seeing people coming into positions that they're just taking just because they have to have them because the struggle is very, very real right now. And I guess my point to that really is, why is it so hard? And from an HR standpoint, we're constantly looking for good candidates. We're constantly trying to figure out how to get them drawn to our company. So it doesn't go together when you're reading about this. And and if you're on LinkedIn at all, you're reading it (laughs) because that's where I'm finding it. People in my community and outside my community just looking for help 
and looking for, you know, what should they be doing? How can they do this? What's wrong? Why are we not hearing anything? People going six months not being able to find a job. And it stands out to me because when you talk to the companies, their conversation is all about, well, we can't get the candidate. And then when you look on the candidate side, it's we can't get the company. So where do we come in and meet in this? And I feel like what we've done previously, we cannot do anymore. We can't. We put in all these things in place to make our hiring process harder to meet. We're not actually speaking to the human. We're screening them out in ways that we're not even getting to the person that we really ideally want to hire. So to your point, when you're saying, you know, going back to companies cannot go back to the old ways and have this control, we can't. We can't go back to the ways that we did things before. What we're seeing in this environment is it's not working. We're not getting to the people. We're not meeting their needs and they're not able to meet our needs. And it's just a constant pull back and forth and a struggle. I love when things connect. What I hear when you say that is in my first book, I talked about the difference between striving and thriving. And the word strive means battle and conflict. And so we're in this striving battle. I know what I want, says the employee. I know what I want, says the company leader. And nobody's listening. Nobody's connecting. We're just in a fight. I I literally picture like one on one side of the wall and the other and we're just in this fight. Give me some examples of we're not speaking to the human and we're making it hard. What are some ways that shows up? It shows up how they screen out applicants. I listened at a recent HR conference this past week, actually, in Cincinnati. It was Disrupt HR. And one of the gentlemen got up there and he talked and he said, put your resume through there. Put your resume through that applicant tracking Put it through your system and you tell me how difficult it is. And that's true. I mean, if you have a hard time getting through your own system to get somebody interviewed, that's a big red flag. If it's that difficult for somebody to apply, that's a big red flag. If they can't actually speak to a human because all they're getting is an automated response or take this assessment or tell me why I need to talk to you. You need to talk to me because you need an employee. And I need a job. (laughs) And that candidate needs a job. Why did we make everything so hard for people to get through? Wow. Why do interviews need to be four or five level interviews? Let's break those two up because I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in diving deeper into both of those. In the first one with the applicant tracking system, you know, I use the business as human framework where the business needs are to control, measure, and optimize. And our human needs are personal, emotional, and social. And you Mm -hmm. have just described what happens when we try to control, measure, and optimize human needs. So we put these applicant tracking systems in place to be more efficient. Yes, because, you know, previously you were getting so many applicants that you were, it was a lot longer time frame to screen people out. So we try to simplify the process. Did it work? When it was initially created to solve that problem, to filter out large numbers? Yeah. You know, you're looking at how people are writing their resumes. You're looking at the words that they're using and you're pulling out the things that pertain specifically to what you're looking for. It's basically search engine optimization that's used for marketing too. It's just filtering out words, right? Yes. 
And you said, in theory, when I said, did it work to solve Mm -hmm. that first problem? Tell me more when you say in theory. I don't think any system that you're doing in that manner is not going to screen out people that wouldn't be good for a job. There's just no way to say that there weren't people that were screened out that probably could have done that job and that you probably did screen out the majority that maybe didn't meet what you were looking for, but I guarantee you picked up some that did. You're not actually speaking to the human and not everybody's resume reads to who they are. I get a lot of questions on that from people, people asking me, you know, can you look at my resume? Tell me why I'm not getting hired. And that's very frustrating to me because you're not getting hired because the search engine's not picking up the words off of your resume for you to be able to get into the door and actually speak to a human being. Which really then does filter out many people that wouldn't have that level of understanding, which may be some of the older candidates in the workforce, or even younger candidates in the workforce that don't know the business lingo, or it would cross all of those to filter out good candidates. And I think what hits me in the heart and my business mind even more so than that is we all have very personal examples of ourselves or people that we know personally that have been wildly successful in a job that they had no prior experience in, but they had the kind of human skills that could learn about anything. And they probably didn't have the exact education behind it. So that's another thing that, you know, we're really pushing for a change in right now is these requirements for certain specific degrees. And there are some jobs that need that, that require that. But there's also, you know, if you're telling me I need to have four to six years of experience or a four-year degree, but I have four to six years experience, why is my experience not as solid as somebody who went into and got that degree if you've been working in it? But, you know, systems do screen that out. If there's a hard requirement for an education and it doesn't matter your years of experience, it's going to scream that applicant right out and they're not going to get the opportunity to actually speak with someone and explain what they're capable of doing. Let's create this from your imagination. So what I'm hearing is that a solution that was designed to be efficient, but now it lacks effectiveness. Mm -hmm. It's not working. So how would you design it for the future? interviewing and applying? And what does that look like in the future to meet the needs as they stand today and in the future? We need to open our systems back up. We need to be looking at the people and not just the paper that they're providing to us. You know, there's pros and cons to new technology. I can remember the first time somebody asked me to do an interview like this, to get on a Zoom call and do an interview and do a video, record it, and send it in. And I was like, oh, this is like the end of the world. Just to affirm you in this, when I was at Franklin Covey, successful salesperson, making a lot of money for the company, big ego, and they said they were going to load Zoom on all of our... They had to chase me down and literally make me do it because I was like, I don't need another password. Nope. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you think about it, what better way and to show who you are than this. Now, I'm not my resume. That's, you know, my accomplishments. But this is me as a person. 
And being able to talk to people in that manner, that really changes it. You get the opportunity to show who you are as a person. And that's important. I couldn't agree anymore. So if we're talking about, I'm always a business consultant at heart. So if we're talking about current state and desired state, what I'm hearing you say is the current state is I'm I'm wanting the machine to do more of the work for me. And then I'll interview one or two candidates. And you're saying the future state is we have to open that back up and not use the machine as a filter. We need to have a human conversation because I love that. I am not my resume. Praise Mm -hmm. God. What are the challenges, barriers, mindsets, practical time? Like what's going to get in the way of us being able to make that shift? Well, you can see that because, you know, everyone's looking for a quicker way to do it. We talk about AI and I think AI is great for ideas. I think AI gives us so many ways to look at things. And I think if we explore those ways, we can get more to the human side. Instead of just looking for words on resumes, we need to give people the opportunity to submit in other manners. We need to give them the opportunity to come in and and actually talk to people or do Zoom interviews or do Zoom recordings and actually speak to someone. Um, And know that somebody's going to review it if I send it in. That's the thing. We talk so much about what will keep our people But this step is our first interaction with our people. And if we're trying to build that place where you belong, we have to welcome you. And that welcome isn't behind all of these systems and through all of these constraints that we've put on getting you into the first meeting. So I think that's a huge change that companies need to do. Like what we did previously does not work. What we've done since does not work. You're seeing it. When you're just listening to the people, if you listen to the candidates and you listen to the companies and that constant struggle, you're hearing it. So we have to do it different and doing it different may be a little bit uncomfortable. It may take us a little bit more time. Oh, I want to challenge the time thing. And I want to go back to what I said in the context is our neuroscience, our nervous system, the way we are wired is we always go back to old patterns. 80% of our behavior is based on patterns of the past that we're not even paying attention to. Only 20% is where we're doing something intentionally and from our prefrontal cortex. And so we're always looking for what worked in the past. And so when we keep going back to those old ways, we're recycling old problems into new problems, which is what you've just described. And to challenge that time thing, you said everyone is looking for how to do it quicker. And the applicant tracking system was originally created to save time and screening out candidates. But now we've got a backlog of not filling jobs for what amount of time do you think jobs go open where candidates are saying, I haven't had a, you know, it's been months and nobody's responded. And businesses are saying, I have this opening and it needs to be filled. It's been open for months. So the system that was designed to save time is Mm -hmm. actually the system that is causing it to take longer. Yes. But we're not challenging that old way of thinking to see it in that way to say, oh, this doesn't even work for what I wanted it to work for. It's extremely frustrating to me 
because I hear a lot of the negativity that goes around as far as HR is concerned, because they feel um, a lot of it pertains to that when we're actually working in the systems that we have and we're working within the constraints that we're given. So now we're on to something, right? So in order to create the changes that we need for the future of work requires autonomy for Mm -hmm. the people that are doing the work to create the solutions that do work. Mm -hmm. So when you're in it and you're listening to them, what they're saying is the candidates are applying. And I'll just use the, the gentleman that I read that had applied to 130 jobs. And he is like, you know, some of them I've heard through. There's a portion that I heard from that I was not qualified. There was a portion that I'm in a process of interviewing with. And then there's a bigger portion I've not heard anything from. How do we change just that? How do we communicate in a way that gives information to candidates, pulls in the candidates that we need, and actually moves them through a process as a human so that we're getting to the people that are really good fits for the companies? I want to pause for a minute because what you have described in terms of humanity matters a lot to me because I have a belief that if we change the way that we work, we can change the world. 59% of the population globally works. And the impact that work has on us as a human is the most influence of anything else really in the time of the day of our lives, right? So we spend the majority of time at work. So our majority of our experience of our lives is spent at work. And then we take whatever experience that we've had at work and we go home or we go out to the rest of the world or we bring our work home because we couldn't get it all done for whatever reasons, right? So now work is spilling over into home. And so the most influential point in our lives is the work. You're describing this person who's been out of work, so they already have a strong sense of uncertainty, probably fear, that is then causing them to feel insecure and lack confidence in themselves. And you take that state of human existence into parenting, into a relationship with your spouse, your friends, your community work, your church, your all the things that make a society great, this human experience at work of feeling like nobody cares and I'm just talking to robots, nobody wants to really listen to me, to me is far more damaging overall in a societal sense than just not being able to fill a job. I would agree with that. It is. And I also see the flip side of that where it's just as defeating for people working in HR who are trying to get to the candidates, who are trying to talk to the candidates, who are trying to get the person in here that they know will be successful in the job. It's just as daunting to them and it's just as frustrating. And that's what causes the big burnout. The majority of the burnout is the overwhelm of how to get through these things to get to that end result. Give me some examples of what that looks like in the day-to-day life of an HR person who's in that just hamster wheel of trying. I mean, I've worked in positions where I've hired hundreds of people. So when you're going through that many candidates all the time and you're trying to get people in and speak to them, it is overwhelming. 
it does feel very daunting. And you know, they're frustrated and you're frustrated and you're trying to pull it together and you're working with what you have. I have the great ability now in the position that I'm in that I reassessed a lot of process that we have implementing new technology, which I strongly suggest let's leverage our technology. So I took three different areas that took up a lot of my time and I'm bringing in three new systems to handle them. And what that will do is it will free me up from that manual process and it will allow me to have more time in these areas of talking to the people, talking to our employees, talking to candidates coming in and really having that human personal relationship that you want to have, that you want to have on your floor, but you also want with the people that are applying. And it's looking at those ways. So I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying, look at what we can fix, what we can make better that will free us up to do these things that will bring the human back into it. Can I get an amen from this (laughs) Midwest Bible Belt girl? Um, Here's a couple of things that I love about what you just said is, number one, you have the trust and the autonomy of your leadership as part of leadership, your organization to say, Angela, you know your work. Uh-huh. You know what needs to be done. I trust you. What do we need to do to fix it? Future of work is trust to give autonomy to the people doing the work to make changes that are necessary. Okay, love that. Number two, you have a strategic look at the overall business, not just the narrow focus of the process or just even HR. You said, okay, so out of everything that I'm doing, if I need to free up time to be with the people more, where am I going to get that time? Because Mm -hmm. The burnout is work harder, work harder, work harder. And that's why people are taking work home and they're working late. They're trying to keep doing everything they were doing, add on more time. That's not been working for a hundred years, right? I've been there. Same, same girl, same. (laughs) And so you looked at it strategically and said, basically time is money, true. And said, what can I do to free up some time and use technology differently? So we're not saying... Let's go back to the 1950s, although I think then we drank and smoked at work. Maybe that would have made everything better, too. I'm not really sure. But you're saying, how can we use technology differently so that I can be with the people in the interviews? You might not be able to share this from your industry perspective, but can you give us some examples of how you're using technology differently to free up some of that time? What are some of the other things you're doing? Yeah. So we had a very manual process when it comes to our timekeeping. So I looked at which timekeeping systems would coordinate with our current HRIS system. And we're bringing in a new timekeeping system, which will eliminate multiple people, including myself, having to manually process that time for payroll. We also had a safety program that requires, we require all of our employees to watch videos and take a quiz every year. But the process for that was very manual as far as printing out quizzes, having people take the quizzes, loading quizzes into the system, anything that's a manual process like that. We have technology out there right now, people that can do this stuff. So I brought in a new platform that will house all of that. The employees can take it online, freeze up their time from having to come up here and sit in a conference room to go through it. 
And there is no loading of anything. There's their quiz, their certificate for it. Everything is housed right there and done electronically for that. And then we brought in a benefit platform. Our benefits were across three different platforms, but they were still utilizing paper form that they were filling out, turning in. We were loading all of those things. So now we have one platform that houses all of our benefits. It keeps every single one of our plans out there. It has videos on there explaining the plans to the employees. It has a health coach that is available to them to ask questions to, along with customer service. And they can go out there, they can choose their plans, load all of their information in, and they can go back to it whenever they have a question about it. It just is a great benefit to have somebody right there that you can reach out to and speak to besides HR. That's very knowledgeable of just about your plans. It also keeps your cards. More knowledgeable than maybe the HR person even is if they're not a benefit (laughs) specialist, right? I'm not. Because that's the other thing about HR and marketing and shared service kind of work Mm -hmm. is people think that you're going to have the entire scope of skill set. And usually you're kind of, you know, one area better than the other, even if you're a generalist. And so you now you've got specialty information in timekeeping, in safety, Mm -hmm. and in benefits through the technology platform instead of counting on you as the HR person knowing all the specifics. That's a perfect example of using technology to be both efficient and effective. You're not trading one for the other like the current system is doing with the resume search. And in each one of those platforms, we were able to add, so we could add additional benefits. We could add additional safety training on the safety platform. So Um, there's a better return on that asset in terms of the spin that you made in that technology has a higher return because of the ability to to do more with it than you could have done manually. Mm -hmm. How much time do you think you are saving in those three areas? I will be saving numerous amounts of time throughout the year on this because of how much time is spent manually performing it. Did you guess? Did you like add it up and try to guess? I guessed that I would save probably about 80 hours just in January alone. 80 hours in one week. Now, January is the heaviest load for benefits and payroll and all those things. But even if it was 20 hours a month for the rest of the year. Yeah. Okay, let's do that math. Because this this is the part that as a business consultant that I've been able to help people get to that level of tactics to understand the real business case of things, right? So if you did 20 Mm -hmm. hours times 11 months, plus the 80 hours in January, that's 300 hours a year that you have saved by implementing this technology. So let's go 50 weeks, thinking you're probably going to take two weeks vacation minimum. That's (laughs) six hours a week you got back. Mm -hmm. How many interviews could you do in six hours? Depending on the job, I like to allow at least 30 to 45 minutes when you're doing an interview, because you want them to be able to ask questions, talk to you initially. If it's an on-site interview, we do an hour because I like to leave them time also. And I don't like, I don't like rushed interviews. I don't like for it to be like, here's my series of questions and I'm going to ask you all of these questions and then out the door you go. So I allow a little bit more time than probably most people do just so they can bring that human experience. I want to know you. I want to know all about you and what you're thinking, 
because it's important for people to want to work at the company as much as it is for the company to want you to work there. Even if you don't hire this person, the Mm -hmm. human experience that they had with you, you're a wonderful human. You are warm and you're welcoming. We just met. You make me feel safe. And so that experience, in contrast with the experience that we were talking about with the gentleman who's applied to 130 jobs, who's feeling at the end of his rope, I bet, mm-hmm. versus somebody that said, oh, you know what, I didn't get that job, but Angela was really nice. And I bet you give people, hey, have you interviewed, at, have you applied here or there? You probably gave them human recommendations Yes, that the machine's not going to do, which is the way that we were designed to live and work is in connection and in community. Yes. And we want to build, we talk all the time, build that sense of belonging. How do you build a sense of belonging? So you can do conservatively, not conservatively, max, probably eight to 10 interviews a week with your found time from these new processes with technology used better. How many openings do you have on a regular basis? Depending on the time of year, usually about three to four. You're not getting a backlog of openings because you're screening out all the candidates. When you look at some of your peers in HR, how many openings are they juggling because the system is stuck, do you think? Oh, I mean, there were times when I would need to bring in, depending on the time of year again, and I say that a lot, because I worked in distribution and warehousing. And so you're ramping up, you're adding people. It's not just a professional layer or management layer. You're bringing in a lot of people during different times of the year. So I could have anywhere from 50 to 75 people that I need to bring in for a certain period of time. Some companies, it was more than that, depending on what their shipping timeframe was and their windows. But the biggest thing that I want to reflect on with this also is the flip side of that. The savings of time is also for the people that are here, because I'm not only trying to bring in and really help the candidate, it's the ability to be there for the people that are on the floor that are people that are working in the company every day that are coming in and giving you their time, you need to have time for them. And the quicker you can fill a job makes their job better because they've got the help they need on the line or in the office or whatever it is. You're right, because you're starving out the attention that they not only need, but deserve trying to fill spots in ineffective ways. Yeah, because I say you don't just hire a person. You're constantly what I can, what I call, and may not be the best phrase, re-recruiting the staff that's working for you. And what I mean by that is, is you're going out and making sure you're providing them everything that they can to be successful. You're making sure that they're being heard. You're making sure that anything that's going on in their environment is working in the best way for them. It isn't just a get them in the door. It is a continuous effort to make sure that you're growing and the company is moving in a manner that is successful for everyone. Amen. And you can't do that if you're bogged down in the process. And not just time bogged down, but emotionally, mentally burnout. So the burnout diagnosis says you're exhausted. You start to become cynical. So now you're in an interview thinking, F this place. I'm exhausted. Why would you want to work here? Not you. Just yes. hypothetical. Or you're like, I've got 10 more people I need to speak to. Can you talk faster, please? <laughs> right? And the third part of burnout is no more rise up efficacy left to give. People 
This is the part that is really concerning to me is if that's our current state, which the burnout numbers are growing and they were already awful. Yeah. You've got people in this state of exhaustion, cynical. I don't want to learn more. They're just in the like dialing it in. And we need people like you that are coming in and saying, hold on, we've got to create something different if we want different results. And Mm -hmm. so you were able to do that, to think strategically versus just being exhausted and on that hamster wheel of burnout, just dialing it in. So you, you are in this good spot of, I believe that sometimes we are granted autonomy. You've got this great leader that gets it. They've read all the Daniel Pink Drive motivation <laughs> books. They watch the TED Talks. They're the upper echelon of leadership. Okay, well, there's not a lot of them. There's some. But if you're not granted autonomy, like a gift handed to you at the company meeting, and you need autonomy to make a difference, you strike me as somebody who's going to go get it done because you know how to craft a business case and present a solution in a way that it would be hard to ignore. Is that fair based on the way that you work? Mm -hmm. I sensed that. How do we take that? what you know how to do from your experience and your intuition and all of your skills, how do we take that and make that the norm for the future of work when we're in this state of burnout? It's like saying to the person that has the flu, I'm just going to need you to run that 5K and then you'll feel better. Like they're already exhausted yeah. and we need them to like step up into this new autonomous way to make business decisions. How do we do that? So I look at what I recommend to people that are in these situations is let's go through your day. Let's look at your day, walk through and tell me what is bringing you the biggest stress, what's causing you the biggest heartache, what is your pain points, so to speak. And then let's figure out how we can take, what steps can you take? Because it's usually very small, simple things. It doesn't have to be a major intake of even a system like I'm doing. Sometimes you can just reevaluate where those are at and make a few simple changes and it will make the difference in your day. So. It's like the times that you're so sick on the couch and you know Tylenol would make you feel better or ibuprofen. And it just seems really far from the couch to the cabinet of where that stuff is. And sometimes we go, could you go get me? And we want somebody to come in and fix us or Mm -hmm. save us or make it better when we're feeling sick. And I would say Mm -hmm. that burnout is you're feeling sick. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, just go to the cabinet and get the ibuprofen and let's just make one hour better so we can do something different. Yes. And one of the ways I suggest in that is look at your meetings. How many meetings are you having? How many of us schedule a meeting for 30 minutes, 60 minutes? Sometimes I have all-day meetings. I'm strongly against them. <laughs> I know sometimes they're necessary. And changing that meeting by five minutes. Change that meeting by five minutes. Let everybody out five minutes before and let them have that five minutes to do something that resets their time. Or ask yourself, do you need it to be a meeting at all? <laughs> well, yes, I, I do believe. Could you record a 10-minute video and update people? If you're not going to listen to their responses anyway, then don't pretend like you are by bringing them into a meeting room. <laughs> exactly. But I know that business is always changing and it is good to get people in a room, around a table, listening to what people That's the community piece. Yes. I mean, I love the collaboration of it. 
I don't think you should have them unless you need to have them because you're taking up everybody's time who is working on other things. But if you do need to get everybody together, give just a few minutes less in the meeting, five minutes early. Let those five minutes be something that everybody can just take a breath, walk outside or go get a cup of coffee if you like coffee or just sit in your office for a few minutes or take a walk around the building and just clear your head. You know, those little things, just a five minute break here and there can really change your entire day. And we get caught up in our work. We don't eat. We don't take breaks. We just run ourselves because we know we got to get things done. And it makes a difference in your day. And it's not a major change, but you'll feel it. You'll feel that change. And want to do more because you're now feeling better and you're more motivated. I mean, we talk about burnout, but the surveys for HR alone are 98%. Maybe 98% and be talking to candidates. 98% and trying to talk to upper management and present a case of why I'm so tired. We are all human. And every one of us is experiencing that. So we have families. We have some of us elderly parents that need help. We've all experienced yeah, way more things. than our jobs, but our jobs we are taking do. way too much of us. You know? Back in 2019, I think that the biggest change that I had and probably one of the reasons, the main reason why I got on the path of what I did and how I do my job, because I experienced the loss of my marriage. I went through divorce. I went through raising children in a completely different manner. I went through parents having health issues. I went through multiple car accidents. It was the craziest thing. I had never even been in a car accident, and I was in two car accidents sitting still at once. <laughs> well, energetically, that that would say you your energy was so off that you were literally attracting crashes yeah. because like, you were. And so- these things were all happening within an eight-month time span. And then I lost my job. I had built, come into a company. I was the third person in the company building out a 650,000 square foot facility. I had hired in hundreds of people and had turned around, had to start laying employees off when all of this is going on in my personal life. (laughs) And find, then being like, okay, we're going to give you the opportunity, which was great of them, to start interviewing for another job. Okay, so this happened from April of 2019 to December of 2019, right before the pandemic. Right so when it, the burnout report had come out from the World yes. Health Organization, too. Yeah. You're so, like, oh, good. It has a name. Yeah. <laughs> and what are you doing? You're trying to do everything. You're in a career that it's your job to serve everyone else in the company and make this happen. And you're going home and you're having all of this real life experiences, life-changing experiences, one after the other life-changing experience. And you're, what do I do? What do you have control over? You don't have control over all this other stuff, but you have over yourself. And if you take, you just do those simple changes. I found huge relief in that. Take the five minutes. You, know? you had to do it out of survival. Mm-hmm. And you and, learned about it. Yeah. yeah, and you learned, right? And now we're saying the future of work. Well, let's be honest. If it, we've got a 98% burnout rate in the HR world, they're in survival too. They are. Yeah, they absolutely are. And they've been that way for a while. I mean, they went through huge changes. They experienced the pandemic 2020. That vastly changed everything that we did. People that thought you couldn't work from home. Well, you're working from home. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. That was my favorite part of things because having worked, I've worked from home 
for 35 years, way before it was a 2020 thing. And when I would be consulting and coaching with leaders around the world about Mm -hmm. culture and leadership and effectiveness, the number of leaders and managers who were so staunch about, no way we're going to be able to do that. And I just sat there in my office in 2020 thinking, I wonder how those people are doing. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But I will tell you, one of the biggest lessons that I learned through all of that is you can't go back. That's why I'm doing this series because, and writing this book, you can't go back. Uh -uh. But the patterns in our brain want to. And Uh so that's my call to arms is no matter how much you think the answer is back there, it's not. And we as a society have not honored creators. You think about how artists and musicians and people who are their giftedness or their role is in a creative sense. We don't value that very much as a society, and it's going to take people being creative and creating solutions that have never been done before in order to put us into a new place and doing it with a business case like you've done. But too many of us, I mean, school gives us a syllabus and a learning plan and grades us on things. And we've been accustomed to being told what to do and feeling like we have this control over things, which is all of ours in and of itself. And now we're going to have to create a new way to live and work because the implications, the ripple effect to humanity from this sickness at work is causing more pain and struggle Now I can't stop thinking about that man who has applied to 130 jobs and wondering what he's doing today and what's his mental health and how's that impacting his marriage and his family and his kids and his neighbors. He's probably kicking the dog and screaming at people. And then people are wondering what's wrong with him. And like, that's not dramatic. That's real. Yeah. Mental health. It's huge. What we're causing on our society, on everyone around us. And we have to do better. We have to do different. Yes. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. This has been delightful. I mean, it's sad and it's hard and it makes my heart hurt, but I am so encouraged by people like you. One, who jumped in. I put one post out on LinkedIn and said, who wants to come on and talk about this? And you jumped right in. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Because you're the kind of courageous creator that we need more of. And so if you're out there helping the others rise up, then I think we got a chance. I think the more that we talk about it, the more the people hear, the more they hear other people's stories. You know, I mean, I'm sure that one gentleman that I talked about, he's one of many. And that's the scary thing. That's the scary thing. He's one of many out there that's struggling right now trying to make this happen. And I'm one of many. I'm one of many HR executives who's trying to make it happen. And we have to come together and we have to do it differently. How can people reach you if they want more of your inspiration and wisdom and practical thoughts. Do you do you partner with other HR people in some way that you can be of support? Or I know I, I'm, I'm asking you that and putting that out there and saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to eat up the hours that you've just found back in your life. I do. So I'm on LinkedIn. So I put a lot of content out there underneath of my company called the HR Happy Place. So trying to, I talk to a lot of HR professionals on that platform. And I'm on also other social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook and stuff underneath of the same page or happy place. And what that is about is just raising awareness. It's putting it out there to them that I see you, I see you, and I hear you. 
deepest human need we have is to be seen, heard, known in a safe, nurturing environment. Thank you for doing that. That's good humanity at work. Maybe that'll be the name of the book. There you go. You haven't named it yet. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. I would love it if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. And then you can go to RebeccaFleetwoodHessian.com and join the Badass Women's Council. And if you really want to take a deeper dive, join the movement of a thousand thriving women. There's amazing Thrive tools there for you today. Love you, mean it. I'm not coming down. Hey, y'all, fun fact. If you like the music for the podcast, that is actually my son, Cameron Hessian. And I would love it if you would go to Spotify and iTunes and follow him and download some of his other music. My personal favorite is TV Land. <laughs>